0: the futility of resolutions. You know, just raise the bar to walk effortlessly underneath. And I don't, know if, I don't know how many of you are resolution setters. I had a friend of mine this week told me he had these goals he set and things like that. Um, but typically, you set resolutions, you set goals, and it doesn't always happen. And actually, one the, the U.S. government has potential resolutions you could set for yourself on its website. So they're even trying to help us out, like lose weight, spend less, go on a trip. You know exercise more all kinds of things we set to do today. I'm going to to actually give you two different uh, Suggestions for resolutions that comes from what we're gonna look at this morning, and these are going to be kind of larger kind of uh, Challenges and the resolutions I'm gonna say not just for like they're not just behaviors it's an attitude that I really think is be For me as I've read through this passage We're gonna look at today and some of the things I really want us to think about How do we change? I mean, if you're honest about it, you think about resolutions or goals you've set and it didn't change, that didn't change, that didn't change, that didn't change, and it's really easy to get discouraged or kind of just assume that this is just going to be the way it is. I'm not going to do anything different. It's just the way it is, and we, you settle, we settle, I settle for life as it is when you know, or at least you think you've been told from what you know of church or the Bible that there's supposed to be more than what you're experiencing. So today what we've been doing, uh, we started this series back in November, took a break over Christmas, but I've been uh, going through Philippians. We're going to go through the rest of January, finish Philippians. And then the series is called Living a Life of Abnormal Joy. Uh, I'm talking about being from Philippi to Kirkwood. Philippi was an ancient city, uh, uh, part of the ancient Roman world. It was a Greek city, but part of the Roman world. And uh, paul it's a letter Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi. And you remember again, where was Paul when he wrote it? He's in prison, so it's the book that talks the most about joy. So it's unusual and and, uh, intriguing that here Paul's talking about joy, and he's in a Roman prison, which I've described before were basically holes in the ground. They were like awful situations. Paul didn't know whether he was going to get out of prison. He didn't know whether he'd live or die out of this, but yet he's talking about joy. So he's giving advice, spiritual challenge advice uh, to men and women of Philippi as well as us, and again, keep in mind where he's coming from, literally as he's writing this, um, because he's not coming from some place of make-believe or, or uh, idealism. He's coming from a place of kind of stark reality. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to have two different resolutions I'm going to challenge you with throughout this, throughout this sermon today, and we'll hit them as we go along here. So Philippians chapter 3, and we'll just look at the screen here, and we'll kind of uh, read along, and I'll describe some things along the way. So this is the Paul writing a letter to a group of Christians in Philippi. Now, in those days, the letters would have been written, sent to Philippi, and then they also would have been passed around to other churches in other cities. So this is how it kind of got its broader kind of appeal and broader knowledge. And then sooner or later, it became so well accepted. It was, it was agreed by those leaders at the time. This should be part of what we now call the New Testament. So that's how those things happen, that's how it happens. So Paul writes this, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He's in prison when he's writing this. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And he writes this, go to the next one. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Let me stop there for a second. Paul was a Jew who had become a follower of Jesus. Anybody who was Jewish had to be circumcised the physical act of circumcision. And so Jews who weren't yet Christians were still saying, no, it's all about these rules we have to keep. And Paul's trying to convince these Christians in Philippi, no, keeping the rules is not the essence of what life with God means anymore. It never meant that. So he's, he's what the dogs are, he's referring to, is those, those Jewish legalists who are saying, you have to keep the rules. So that's where he's coming from. And Watch out for those dogs, those people that do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, keep in mind, too, he's writing this to people in Philippi. Not all were Jews. Some were non-Jews. So get into the psychology of this. There's, there are people there who are not Jews who are being told by the Jews, you have to be circumcised. And some of these, let's just be honest, they were adult men. And the thought of being circumcised wasn't appealing in large, many, many ways at that age. All right? So, But they're being told, you have to do that, you have to do these things in order to be spiritual. So Paul says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who, tr- who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. And then we go on, because Paul, if you, know, if you don't know his story, Paul was like, a Jew of Jews. He was, he was one of the best rule keepers ever before Christ got a hold of him and he turned his life over to Christ. So now Paul is basically saying, if you think keeping the rules is important, nobody kept them better than me. And this is where he goes. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which was the Jewish custom. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Okay, go on. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Actually, in the original language, the word garbage is actually the word excrement. It's just sometimes that translators don't feel like it's appropriate to translate that way. But he's basically saying, it's dung. It's, it's that, that, I, those, that rule-keeping behaviors, all the doing the right thing and being impressive and having like a real impressive spiritual resume. He says, I, I consider that worthless. It's no better than put it on the bottom of the birdcage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. All right, now, go to the next slide. Here's the first New Year's resolution I'm going to encourage you to do. And that is to quit... Image management, and I'll explain what that means. In those days, when when Paul was talking about uh, all the things he did that was impressive, essentially the Jewish culture and Christians of that time, as well as in a, it's caught up in what one author, and famous author, might calls image management. We want to look good. We think that being a Christian means keeping the rules, doing this, doing this, saying the right things, doing the right things. And we find ourselves obsessed with being impressive to other people. Now, this passage of Philippians, Philippians 3, the first time I ever preached on this was in 1992. It's not the same sermon. It was my worst preaching experience of my entire life. Some of you may have been there. That It was actually another church in town, Evangelical Community Church. And uh, in the middle of the sermon, I stopped. I just said, I can't go on. Uh, this is in front of a whole congregation, so you can imagine what stupidity that must have felt like. And I remember, it was one of those situations, and if anybody's spoken in public, you understand this, it's one of those situations where you really wish there was a trap door up here. You could just hit a button and slide home and watch football, all right? And the issue was, I remember as I was teaching that morning, I was straining and trying really hard to be Impressive. I remember trying to use the right words quote from the right people use the right nuances and I don't know why that particular morning I got to the point in the middle of the sermon where I thought this is stupid what am I doing and I actually said okay I feel like I'm trying to be impressive to all of you and I don't know why and so I'm going to be done with my sermon now and I think I said a couple more rambling words and then I was done and I remember it was a church where they had two different services I didn't know what I was gonna do in the second service I didn't know if I should follow the script again and stop halfway. Um, And I remember walking out of the first service, and my wife said, how did it go? And I said, it was awful. I just kept walking. But I remember the feeling of, why am I concerned about being impressive to people? And what Paul's saying to the Christians here in, in Philippi is, it's not about being impressive. It's not about having all these things on your resume. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not about doing and saying the right things. That's not at all what it means to be a person that has life with God. Some of you may have grown up in those environments. I grew up in a church. That was the environment I grew up in. It was your, your, your righteousness was determined by what you did not do or what you did do. I remember, I still remember in high school, a girl telling me during lunchtime when I told her what church I went to, she said, oh, you went to that church that doesn't let you do anything. It's like, wow, that's really kind of life-giving, isn't it? Because I grew up in an environment where you know, if you're, if you're a good Christian, you don't do this, you don't drink, you don't do this, you don't go to dances, you don't do this. Or, and there's also some of us, we in environments where there's certain things you're supposed to do that looks Christian, certain ways you say things, whether you say certain words and certain kind of terminology, and there's certain, all these things we do because we think it's what we're supposed to do, so other people will think we're as spiritual as what we want them to think we are. And how many times how you say and what you say is really designed uh, to impress other people. And sometimes we do not even aware of how much that goes on and don't, much, don't, don't understand that, but I think, the, I think the clear message of Paul, which is the very thing that Jesus called the Pharisees on. The Pharisees were experts in image management. They did everything correctly. They obeyed the laws correctly. They did obey the Bible correctly. They knew the Bible inside and outside. They did everything right. Everything right. But Jesus tells them, you guys are so far from God. And uh, uh, someone once said, I read read this recently, that if if your measuring stick for spirituality is such the Pharisees can win then it's the wrong measurement. So if you think spirituality means, I know, I'm not saying these things are wrong. I know a lot about the Bible. I, I behave well. I do this. Those are all good things, but if that is the source of why you think you're spiritual, the Pharisees score high on those things. And if the Pharisees can score high, then it's the wrong scale. Because what Jesus said to the Pharisees, and what Paul is kind of implying here is, no, it's more about your heart. It's more about how you love people. It's more about kindness and forgiveness. And it's more about your sensitivity, the circumcision of your heart to God, your sensitivity to the God Spirit. It's not about whether you wear the right clothes, do the right things, go to church at the right time, avoid the wrong things, do this, do this, do this, do this. It's not about any of those things. And um, I remember reading, I remember in college reading, uh, reading about the Pharisees and kind of thinking, well, how how arrogant those people were And then somebody challenged me and said, when you read about the Pharisees, don't just read about the Pharisees as those people. Understand that you read yourself into their lives because you may have, we all have those same tendencies. We all have the Pharisaic, Pharisaic tendencies of why we think we're better than other people. So if you ever think you're better than somebody else, you've already gone into an image management mode. You think you're better. And whenever you do that, and that's what Paul's getting at, if if you want to play this who's better game, Paul says, I got it all. I got all the Jewish better points. But I count it like nothing. So the first challenge, New Year's resolution is, maybe it's even asking God to help you identify where that shows up in your life. And stop playing that game, because it's a game you can't win. It's a game you don't want to win. Because if you win, then you're tied with the Pharisees. But Paul's saying, no, don't, don't be that way anymore. Now let me go on to the next part of the passage. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And this next passage is uh, kind of the heart of the passage. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Let me just stop there for a second. When he says, I want to know Christ and experience his power, the word know there is not simply knowing about. It's in the same way I might say, uh, I want to get to know my wife better. I want to get to know my friends better. It's it's an experiential knowledge. Paul's not saying, I want to know more about theology. I want to know more about the Bible. He says, I want to know more about Christ. And the next line really kind of blows me away. Experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He's not talking about my resurrection after I die. He's saying, right now, I believe, from what I this is what Paul is saying, I believe that the power that raised Christ from the dead is a power I can live in now. And I've said before, Christianity is not a moral religion. We don't gather because it's not a moral religion. It's not a political religion. It's not even a, 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 a do-good religion. It's a spiritual, it's an invisible world kind of reality. We believe that there's transformation that's possible that has nothing that that is only happens if something outside of us does something, it's a supernatural religion. So, Paul's saying, I want to live that way, I want to know Christ, I want to live in a supernatural way of living, not not out of this world kind of goofiness, but I want to live in the power that Jesus says we can have in our lives. Now, frankly. If I, for one, would love it if, after he said that, raise him from the dead, I would love it if Paul would have just stopped there. But he goes on and says, and I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another other, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. The reality, go back to that for a second there. The reality of that, ch- that challenge, for you to say, for me to say, I want to know Jesus that way. You cannot disassociate that from the reality of hardship and suffering i'm not saying okay you want to follow jesus be ready because you're going to get beat up i'm not saying that but when you read the book of acts and you see the power of the resurrection people being healed mass conversions when you see all those things and then interspersed in all of that is the hardship and the persecution and the fact that some of the apostles were thrown in prison one lost his head some were beaten you cannot tear those two apart You can't say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of the resurrection. And I want it to be comfortable, easy, and smooth. You can't say that. The Bible never gives you that option. Jesus never gives you that option. Paul never gives you that option. But he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power, the mighty power of the resurrection. I want to know that kind of supernatural reality. I believe that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I believe that's what Jesus meant for us. Oh, and I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And this is Paul writing this, who's already kind of suffered. He'd been, Paul had been beaten, he'd been whipped, he'd been stoned. So he's not saying this in some kind of you know, large, hyperbolic, kind of uh, imaginary way. He's saying, I'm already experiencing this. Um, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Now go to the next one. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, that I've already reached perfection. But I press on, and I'm going to hold that word there for a second, press on because it shows up again. I press on to possess, possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. I forget the past. Um, some of you may still be hung up. Maybe I'm hung up on things from the past that I think keep me from being what God wants me to be. Paul says, move past that. Forget the past. Look forward to what lies ahead. And here he says again, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling me. Now stay here for a second. The two phrases he uses, he says, I press on. That phrase right there, I press on, is the same word that's used when it uh, it talks about people being persecuted. Now Paul's not saying I'm persecuting, but what it shows is this energy of effort. It's like... I'm going to be relentless in trying to figure this out. I'm going to press on to understand what it means to know Jesus in this way. I'm not going to be passive and let it and just wait till it happens to me. I'm going to go push, I'm going to press, I'm going to show, I'm going to exert effort to figure out how do I know Jesus in this way? So there's an energy that Paul's talking about that he's challenging people if if you think the Christian life is simply showing up to church once a week and doing a few things during the week that has some good things about that, um, Paul's challenge would be to us is no, that that will get you a few inches, but he said no. I'm going to press on. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to pr- pr- press on until I can know this thing about Jesus. So here's the, here's the resolution I'll give you from this one, and I'll explain this. Go to the next slide. Actually, go yeah. And this this is going to be a phrase I'm intending to repeat throughout the next few weeks and maybe even months. Is that what would it be like? What would it look like for you to be brave in these in this next year? I may even call it a theme for the next year for Exodus. What would it look like for you to be brave as you follow Jesus this year? Because what Paul's talking about here is a certain kind of energy that seems to push past discomfort. It seems to push past fear. It seems to push past doubt. And is there ordinary ways of bravery that God may be asking of you? Maybe the bravery of just simply a conversation with somebody that you know needs to be had that may be life-giving, it may be healing or whatever. Maybe it's a financial decision. Maybe it's to step out to try to do something ministry-wise that may have a high potential of failing, but you know that's what God's calling you to do. And maybe when there's things come to mind that you think God's asked you to do, maybe in the back of your head what I'd ask is that maybe somewhere in the back of your head you're thinking, okay, if I were brave, if I really had the brave, bravery that I believe Jesus can give me, what would I do in this situation? If you replayed events even the last few days or if you replayed in the, few, in the next few weeks, what would bravery, if you were braver than you are now, what would that look like as a follower of Jesus? What things aren't you doing because you're afraid of failure? What things aren't you doing because you're afraid of pain? What things aren't you doing that you sense God may be asking you to do because you're just, you like the comfort that you're in? It's kind of like that video at the start. Just be comfortable with the life you have. Uh, Don't expect anything else because we tend to kind of back off. Maybe there's a neighbor you know that doesn't know Christ and you had a sense to have a conversation with them but you just don't know, so you back off. Maybe there's a conversation you need to have with your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your friend. Maybe there's a challenge you need to issue to a friend of yours who calls himself a Christian but they're not walking like a friend of Jesus. But you're like, well, I don't... Let's leave well enough alone. So just the phrase, Be brave. And maybe there's a situation where you have this inkling of, I, yeah, I think I should go do this. Well, maybe I won't. Because I, I tell you, nine times out of ten, it's going to be fear or discomfort that's going to keep you from doing it. But you look at the stories of men and women in the Bible, whether it's Abraham, who God said, I want you to get up and go to a country you've never been to before, whether it's Gideon, who God said, I want you to lead an army even though you're not a soldier and you're, you're, your country is getting beat up pretty badly, but I want you to lead an army whether it's Esther who, who was challenged to go in and tell the king something so it would save her people, every one of those situations were, were people that were ordinary people that took steps of bravery because they knew God was behind it. They weren't like superheroes before they did those things. Matter of fact, the whole story of the Bible it would be of ordinary people taking steps of ordinary braveness that God was behind. And then the world changed. It wasn't people wasn't people doing these grand finale kind of things. It was small acts of obedience that required bravery and courage that only comes from God. And when Paul talks about pressing on and knowing Christ, he has a track record of doing incredible f- things that were full of courage and bravery where he had to step into situations where they knew there was discomfort. So don't ever write yourself off as, well, I'm just an ordinary Christian. I, you know, I don't, I don't do those things, I'm not Paul and I get in on not Abraham, I'm not Esther, I'm not Mary, I'm not this. None of those people were anybody until they did what God asked them to do. And they had that same spirit, that same push that Paul has, I, I want to know. I want to experience God. I'm want to press on. I'm not going to stop till I experience what I believe is all of what God has for me. And again, none of these people in the Bible it was no, there were no big plans set before them. There were small, ordinary acts of bravery, of obedience, and of courage. That they knew God was in, and they knew that Jesus was going to be with them in the midst of that. So when you think about issues that you've wrestled with, or things that you, God, you think God may have been saying to you, and that maybe you haven't acted on, and maybe the issue is, if you're honest, fear or discomfort... What would your life look like if you truly had the bravery and the courage that Paul talks about and that Paul exhibits in his own life that was also shown through the life of Jesus? What would, how would your life be different if you actually had that simply as a mantra for this year? I'm going to be brave when Jesus asks me to be. In ordinary ways, in big ways, however way he asks you to be. How would your life be different? So you're going to hear this phrase in the next... Uh, next few weeks, maybe the next few uh, months, so I'm going to continue to challenge you, myself, and even us as a church, as what it would be like if we took the next step of courage and bravery in getting to know Jesus and to do whatever he asks us to do. So let's pray. God, I... Um, Uh, the reality is, and even though it was a maybe a humorous video, the reality is, is the gravity of our, uh, the force of gravity of our lives seems to be so hard to uh, transcend. It's so hard to see changes. Um, we tend to live, even our Christian lives, the same way, day in, day out, day in, day out, month in, month out, and now year in and year out. But deep down, I think every single one of us Knows there's more. There's more of Jesus to be experienced. There's more more of the Holy Spirit to be filled with. So God, would you shake us out of of our slumber and maybe even our cynicism that says, well, things aren't going to change. And would you give us the spirit that Paul talks about, the spirit that will press on and that... uh, cries out to you that we want to know the power of the resurrection. We want to know that kind of supernatural life, that kind of supernatural soul. And we want to be the kind of people who don't fear discomfort or even suffering. We want to be the kind of people who aren't slaves to comfort. So, God, we want to know you. And uh, this, lo- this room was filled with uh, every single person here is an ordinary life. But there's some incredible things you have for us in this next year. And would you give us um, the ordinary, supernatural um, courage to pursue you and to honor you and to obey you? Because we want to be people who have that kind of life, who have this rejoicing life, who are alive, awake, and free, simply because... Um, we've realized there's nothing that matters more than following you, Jesus. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. We, uh, we end every Sunday at Exodus with uh, communion.